So this one goes back to my book in 2015. Invisible predators in the woods that are there, but you can hardly see them, according to the accounts of people that have contacted me. Well, when I say invisible, sometimes they do show themselves. And when they do, you would wish that they had not. Max Heindel's book, The Rosicrucian Cosmoconception, says, The first step in occultism is the study of the invisible worlds, non-existent and incomprehensible, because we lack the sight to perceive them. The mysterious force which causes phenomena remains invisible to us. But if with methods our higher senses are awakened, we are able to behold the worlds hidden. The reality of these higher worlds and the objects in them appear as mirages, or even less substantial. Yet in truth, they are much more real and more indestructible than the objects in the physical world. I was talking to a hunter called Jeffrey. He lives in Parkersburg, West Virginia. He's a hardcore outdoorsman. He hunts all the time. The vast majority of his day and his nights is spent out in the woods. He fishes, he hunts. He says, I was on my way to go hunting. It was 6.30 in the morning on a December day. I was driving along when something crossed the road and it had to be at least 15 feet tall. It was medium dark brown in colour. And when I say crossed, I don't mean walked. It kind of glided quickly as though hovering just off the ground. It was brown and it flew across the road so quickly. All I know is I have no idea what it was and have never seen anything like it. It was shifting in a rectangular kind of shape. That's the best I can use to describe it. I still can't even think what that was. And I live in the woods. I can't rationalize it. So I asked him, did it have any substance to it? Could you see straight through it? He answered, it was shifting. It was dark brown. It was a shape and it hovered quickly. It was as if, if you've ever seen a flock of birds tightly grouped together, it moved like that. You could not see through it. It had a shape. I asked him, did it have any limbs? Did it have a head? Or was it just a blurred shape? He said, I was expecting to see deer, if anything, but there was no deer, and there wasn't any birds. Whatever it was, was vast and big, and it scared me. I don't scare easily, at all, and I don't believe in this kind of thing. My mind went into shock. I couldn't process it or accept it. It was a large creature. It hovered. It was very fast, and I've never seen anything like it. I asked him, was it biological? Where did it come from? He said, I can't explain. I don't even want to know. My impression was it was evil. No way was it a living creature. It was too big. I asked him, was it aware of your presence? He said, yeah, it knew I was there. It inspired instant fear and shock to the point of you don't want to believe it. And yet after it was gone, the sense of terror went with it too. Now, I'm not one of those people that think humans can know all of what exists. I think things exist that we can't explain. It didn't harm me, and it didn't act as if it was going to harm me. It was actually just in a hurry. I'm not afraid now to go out in the woods, but I'm very curious about what that was. He's not the only one to have seen these kind of creatures. Back in 2014, I came across a very strange story of a bow hunter. At the time, I was collecting accounts about these creatures that seemed to be invisible, and yet sometimes it was as though some kind of cloaking revealed their true form. Well, in this particular case, the lady called Jan had gone bow hunting in Ohio. She'd gone alone, and she'd set her hunting stand up in a tree about 15 feet up. All was quiet, so she spent her time just texting friends, waiting for something to come along so that she could begin to hunt. 
Suddenly, the woods went really quiet. Birds stopped making any noises. She couldn't hear any rustling, but she felt that something was very wrong. In fact, she texted a friend and she said, "The woods have gone so quiet. This is not normal." She felt as though she was being watched, but she couldn't see anything until something caught her eye. In the field of vision ahead of her, where there was a wide expanse, she saw something moving. It was a shimmering, brownish kind of color, and yet it didn't seem to be fully formed either. She could make out parts of it, almost as though to her it looked like a mirage that you would see in the desert on a hot, sunny day. It was gliding across a field of vision from the left, going to the right. She took off her glasses. She thought, "I must be seeing things. There must be something on my glasses to make me see something." She wiped them, but when she put them back on, the thing was still there, still moving. She described it as something as though it was wrapped in saran wrap or some kind of gossamer. So it was insubstantial, but it wasn't solid. But whatever it was seemed to be alive, and it was moving. She took photographs of this thing, whatever it was. Not long after, she decided to go home. To get out of the woods, the strange thing was when she later spoke to her cousin and her cousin's son about the experience. The son mentioned that he'd been not that far away at his school where they were having football practice out on the pitches, and it was getting dark when they were playing. He said that he saw strange lights in the sky. It wasn't an airplane. It wasn't a helicopter because the lights were moving and they were different colours, but it was hovering as well. So he knew it wasn't an ordinary craft. Several of them had seen it, so it wasn't just him. But he also had that really unnerving sensation that something was watching him, something that he couldn't see. Well, Jan sent the picture to Dr. Bruce Maccabee, who's an expert on optics and sounds and lasers at the Naval Surface War Center. Many have seen this photo now on the internet, and most people say that the thing she caught on camera was strands of her hair. Well, that certainly could be the case, indeed. So perhaps that's the answer. Perhaps it was paranoia, being alone in the woods, and just fear got the better of her. But then, what did the other hunter see? The one that I spoke about before this encounter. And what about the other ones? I'm going to explain now. Another man had a really strange encounter, and when he was telling it, he said, "I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I'm college educated. I hold down a good job, and I certainly don't have any mental problems." He described that he was walking his dog by some woods, and the woods was lined by a small road. He said that something caught his eye, which later he would describe as predator-like. He was walking in the shade. The sun wasn't out, and there were no broken streaks of light. The sky was clear, so there wasn't sun and there wasn't shadow. It wasn't that causing the effect. About a foot off the ground, he saw something moving, as though it was holographic in nature. He said it was running into the woods. At first, he thought it was like some sort of enormous snake, but he realized that there was no solid form to it, and it was as though it was superimposed over the leaves and the plants. The plants were moving where it went. There was no sound of any wildlife. Everything had gone silent. He doesn't know to this day what it was he saw, but he says, you know, one of the strangest things are there's a lot of roadkill along this road. Always dead animals. Was it an illusion? Was some kind of view into another dimension? What was that thing? There's another man who lives in Colorado who says that he's had a similar incident. It happened a couple of years ago to him, and it happened in his backyard. He said, "I've had a similar experience. Only this one settled in a cottonwood tree next to my house. There was nothing there to be seen, but it was active. 
All day it broke branches, snapping them from the tree and throwing or dropping them down. A friend came over and I told him and we sat outside looking. There were no animal sounds. It was deathly silent. No wind. Every couple of minutes, branches snapped, forming a pile on the ground. Bolstered by my friend being there, I decided to walk the 60 feet to the tree. But as I approached, I stayed about 30 feet from it. I could see nothing up there. Then a branch, about 15 feet long, got thrown in my direction. I backed off quick and said a prayer, and it stopped immediately. About a year later, I learnt by chance about a man and his wife who were walking by a creek when they became aware of something moving through the treetops, breaking off branches as it went along. They said they saw a shimmering, sort of predator thing, which I didn't. Another very weird thing is that we have people occasionally go missing here, in the mountains, in the woods. One man went missing several years ago. They found his skeleton with his backpack. The skeleton was intact, but the skull was missing. A lady called Susie also contacted me when I was writing this book, Predators. She says it began when she went to stay with her sister in a subdivision of New Hampshire. She says, these things are totally invisible, and who knows where they are or where they went. Anything that was that intelligent and in treetops needs to be investigated, in my opinion. I try not to think about it too much, because it could freak me out. Something is out there for real, and we can't see it with our eyes at all. It happened in spring 2003, and it had been rainy the last few days. Often late at night, I would go out onto the front deck to smoke. Each night, as I sat on the deck, after midnight, I would hear large sticks breaking in the forest. It happened every night. Being a seasoned camper, and having been brought out by scout leaders as parents, I didn't think anything of it at first. But I did notice that I never heard any rustling of leaves, well, I brushed it off as being some kind of animal, but still, night after night the sounds continued, and I could also hear the sounds of scraping on the tree bark, and of something dropping out of the trees. I would look out into the forest for any kind of movement, but I couldn't see anything there. The porch and the driveway here were well lit by floodlights. I also used a flashlight to beam light into the trees, but I couldn't see anything at all moving. Then the sounds started to move closer. The longer I stayed out on the porch, the closer the sounds started to come. In the daylight, I checked the trees for any marks and looked for any animal tracks. I sent my nephew out into the woods to jump on sticks to measure the sound I was hearing at night. He could only break smaller sticks, but I could break the larger ones by jumping on them. To me, this implied that whatever was doing it was larger than any 11-year-old boy. Yet I didn't know of any animals that large whose habitat was in this area. Not only that, but at night they were coming closer to the house. By getting my nephew to move around in the woods, I was able to estimate that the distance the sounds were coming from had to be no more than 20 or so feet away. But stranger than this, I knew there were more than just one of them. Because at night, the sounds would come from the front of the house and from behind at the same time. They were coming from two directions simultaneously, yet they were not visible to human sight, and they weren't showing up on any photographs I'd taken. But even inside the house now, I began to feel like I was being watched. On the laptop at night, I would be sitting by the curtainless window, and I felt as though I was being observed. The dogs were picking up on something too, because from their basement crates they start howling. Then one night, when I was outside on the porch again, I heard them coming. 
Again, the floodlights were lit up, and I could see the panorama of trees clearly. But I could see nothing there, and there was no rustling, just sticks breaking. But they were coming closer. About eight feet from me, some plants stood on the lower deck in pots, and I watched as the plants moved to one side and then sprung back into place, as though something had brushed past them, except nothing was there that I could see, or sounds of stepping on the grit. The night had no wind or breeze, but the flowers had been pushed aside a significant distance. Whatever it was, they had come up the stairs towards me. In shock, my head turning, running through what I'd just seen happen, I ran inside and locked the door hurriedly. Shortly after that incident, I was sitting by the window on the computer again. As I looked at the living room wall, I thought I could see shadows above it on the ceiling, as though someone had just walked past. But everyone was in bed. She says, I'm a person who's been through a lot. I don't scare as easily as others, which is why I stood there so long and why I went back night after night to listen and to see if I could see them. There was no movement whatsoever visually, and it was reasonably well lit. No one in my sister's house was up late and outside, so they had never experienced this before, and they tried to make all kinds of excuses for it, like it was the trees popping from the cold weather, or it was small animals. Were they just watching? Hunting? How many other homes did they get into? These things are either interdimensional or cloaked, or perhaps out of our visual range of ability to see. It would be different entirely if I were not well-versed in camping and forest sounds. I can easily rule out a lot of them because of my background. I grew up with scout leader parents. All animals of the forest rustle dry brush and leaves on the forest floor. I've been out there all my life. I know the forest sounds and I know animal behavior. Of course, a few said it was Bigfoot because they believe he can be invisible. This was not Bigfoot. He walks heavy and rustles the foliage and dry leaves on the forest floor. This was quiet creeping and no rustling at all. I know the sound that foxes and raccoons make. Through further discussion on paranormal websites, a few things came to light. One person suggested the sound wasn't actual breaking sticks, but a sound that they make. Well, who's to say? One person interpreted that the entities were testing me to see what I would do. This comment made my hair stand up straight, and I have long hair. This put a twist on it that I had not thought of before. Prior to that, I thought the entity accidentally brushed the flowers as it passed closely by it. If it were done intentionally, though, to observe me and my reaction, that involves a high intelligent, and that really means we are up against something scary as hell. This will haunt me for the rest of my life, and I hate that. I feel this way out of pure fear, or terror in fact. I know in my gut that this is going on everywhere and has not been discovered yet. I can add to this too, they were up there in the trees for a reason. To me, they hunt at night. They go in the trees to watch like hunters in a tree stand. This means hunting, observing, in my opinion. The question is, are they documenting or planning dinner? I really haven't been the same since. I never feel okay in the woods anymore, even in the daylight. I don't even feel safe in my own yard, especially at night. We all need to track these things because they pose a threat in my opinion. This was nothing normal at all. These things were sneaking up on me, synchronistically. They had obviously communicated to each other in some way, to be so perfectly in sync. And that's what really scared me bad. It showed a high level of intelligence. And the question is, was I prey to be captured or just observed? 
That is what made me run inside and lock the door. Susie's not the only one to have had experiences with things that can't be seen. Researchers John Mitchell and Robert Rickard wrote of an account from the famous explorer James Allen Rene and his friend who were in the remote wilderness of northern Canada in 1924. According to them, as they made their way across a frozen lake, they encountered something that chilled them to the very core. Tracks were appearing in front of them, coming toward them, yet no creature was making them. There was nothing there except the recurring tracks coming closer and closer. Then suddenly, something impacted against Renee, then ventured on at great speed, its tracks still being made as the invisible entity made its way across the lake. The explorer recorded this in his published journal. There was no animal, no sign of any life at all to account for them, he said. Perhaps one of the strangest accounts to ever have been recorded was in the oldest journal, still in publication now, and it's called the Scots Magazine. It was first published in 1739, and it contained the story of a very strange incident that occurred in 1761. Five women were returning from collecting wood near Ventiliglia in northern Italy, when suddenly one of them cried out and dropped to the ground, dead. Her friends were terrified by what they saw. Her clothes and even her shoes were apparently torn into shreds and scattered all around her. Her wounds were horrific. Her skull was visible. Her intestines were hanging out. And most of her internal organs had been ruptured. Her femur had been torn from its socket and the flesh of her hip and thigh torn off. The account was recorded in the French Academy of Sciences by Dr. M. Morand. He wrote that there was no blood at the scene nor any sign of her missing flesh. A few decades ago, in the field of ufology and cryptozoology, there began a growing field of thought that pointed to the possibility of invisible intelligences on a grand scale. Known as atmospheric beings, or sky beasts, they're a theory of what one would think completely impossible, sky-bound entities that roam the skies in silence, visible only by the use of infrared, but always there. They remain one of the most fascinating of mysteries, their origins are unknown, and their intentions quite possibly sinister. We don't know what they are, but they are there nonetheless. And these things appear to be alive, organic creatures of some sort. Large, voracious, invisible to the naked eye, these undetectable predators could take people without seeing them coming. Well, this is what Navy veteran Trevor Constable believed, dedicating 20 years to studying them. The idea that these morphic beasts he could capture with the use of infrared cameras that dwelt within the atmosphere of the Earth were monsters that only increased their density while in search of food, and their food source being humans. He blamed the accounts of livestock disappearances, mutilations, and indeed human mutilation cases and disappearances on these soaring predatory entities. In the 1950s, he captured up to 100 images on film while out in the desert in places such as the Yucca Valley and the Mojave Desert. These images showed signs of dark objects. Others were shadowed, dense beings, and they looked like they were alive, living cells. Others took the form of UFOs. All of them were framed by the landscape, which enabled their size to be scaled in comparison to the natural features of the desert, and they were frighteningly big. For the first time, they were being captured by infrared, 
But for years, reports have surfaced of strange creatures inhabiting the skies above us. Atmospheric beasts, or atmospheric life forms, with bodies that are able to adjust their density from the almost immaterial and invisible to a more solid form. Actual life forms with an intelligence, morphing, shifting, and attacking. Trevor Constable wasn't the only one to notice these things in the skies above us. Photographer Michael White, a New Zealander, was also filming the night sky when he noticed an odd-looking cloud, a dark cloud which remained stationary and did not move at all for at least 30 minutes, before then suddenly disappearing. It wasn't until he later developed the images he'd photographed that he saw there was some kind of entity there, a mysterious object that looked like it had been rippling. Though naked to the eye, it appeared solid in the pictures. There were shadows of light and fibrous-looking shapes. Prior to both of these investigators, the late Ivan Sanderson was a proponent of this theory, of these shape-shifting, morphing, predatory sky beasts. Well, if this sounds too fantastical to believe, perhaps it should be noticed that in 1949, the US Air Force made a revealing official statement that the possible existence of some sort of strange ET animals had been considered as many of the objects seen in the sky act more like animals than anything else. When Trevor Constable's images were analysed by the Borderland Sciences Journal, they said objects would be in the films, but as a stirring that followed the lines of their structure. This was a puzzle until we came in contact with George Delaware's work, who was a radionics pioneer who discovered that everything living has an etheric axis. Etheric energy transfer could be captured on the film just like photographs that capture the auric energy field of humans. Constable believed he'd captured the churning turbulence of auric energy as the objects changed form and shape. He says Pathé film technicians, who handled millions of feet of movie film footage for Hollywood, well, they said they'd never seen anything like this before. His conclusion was, We now know that creatures and crafts exist in a range of forms beyond human sight, that this life is invisible to human sight. Some forms have not fully materialised, and it indicates that they have perhaps emerged from an even more remote range for the state of density. Well, more recently, I came across the work of Nick Hayes, who lives in the Oxford countryside, and he decided to adopt a different approach. He says that for the filming, he captured them using an infrared full-spectrum converted Canon digital camera with an ultraviolet pass filter to film an ultraviolet in movie mode. The footage that he's taken, when slowed down to the speed of one-eighth, due to the extreme speed at which these things were flying, shows swarms of entities swooping down above the tree line, going down to the ground. He says, What I found is that with non-infrared, they don't register at all on the footage. They do, however, appear to look like solid creatures, and they are all around us, all of the time. The eminent physicist at Stanford University, Dr. William Tiller, has previously stated, We see only a fraction of the electromagnetic spectrum. Perhaps we similarly perceive only a small fraction of a greater reality spectrum. Professor Fred Wolf, in his groundbreaking book of 1985, stated, As fantastic as it sounds, quantum physics visits that there exists within this world another world side by side. 
Nobel laureate for physics, Professor Brian Josephson, refers to the discovery of subatomic particles in physics as energy that behaves in a way that is seemingly paranormal, that moves faster than the light and passes effortlessly through matter, like ghosts. Lynn McTaggart, in her findings in the book The Field, The Quest for the Secret Force of the Universe, discovered that significant numbers of scientists were coming together to establish scientific proof of an energy field, that everything in the universe was interconnected by waves, spread out through time and space that tied everything to each other. The most basic fundamental laws of physics state that energy cannot be destroyed. It is infinite. It cannot be destroyed, but it can be converted to different forms. Quantum physicists discovered that matter was completely indivisible. The universe could now only be understood as a dynamic web of interconnectedness. Indeed, time and space themselves appeared now to be just arbitrary constructs. There now appeared to be scientific validation for a model of consciousness that was not limited to the body, but was an ethereal presence. An idea which had largely been the domain of mystical and religious and New Age spiritualism. A group of scientists, including two astrophysicists, have been conducting experiments and solving complex equations that they believe even furnish irrefutable proof of human survival of bodily death. Michael Roll, who heads the campaign for philosophical freedom, is the spokesman for the group. One of the members, Mr. R. D. Pearson, a former university lecturer whose speciality is thermodynamics and fluid mechanics, has written a book called Intelligence Behind the Universe, in which, put simply, he claims it contains mathematical proof to explain the cosmic force that drives the phenomenon of continuing life. Pearson et al. see post-mortem survival as just part of a multidimensional subatomic matrix on which all forms of life exist. In this model, physics, physical materializations are but the temporary merging of different frequencies from two separate levels of the unifying grid. So are these findings and these statements validation of the possibility? It is from here that these entities, or unfamiliar creatures, can emerge just as we ourselves one day will enter into another state and dimension. Has the likelihood of invisible entities and creatures existing become an ever more real possibility? Cloaked or veiled and hardly visible? Well, many will say that ancient esoteric knowledge has known this for millennia. The question is, of course, are some of these entities responsible for the disappearance of people? In the realm of strange, invisible and sudden manifestations, there also appears another phenomenon that at times is completely baffling. In the highland mountain ranges in Scotland, the wild and magnificent place there, witnesses have claimed that their terrain can hold a dark side that has terrified many, and quite possibly led to the death of others. Benamacdui is the highest peak in the Cairngorms. Many mountaineers are certain that this region harbours a malign entity called Fair Leith Moor. Translated, this means the big grey man. Legend tells of it stalking anyone who trespasses onto its territory. But is this just a legend? When Professor Norman Colley spoke at the AGM at the Cairngorm Climbing Club in 1925, he reported an unnerving incident that had happened to him. It was back in 1891, he said to them, that after conquering the summit, he was in the process of descending through heavy mist and fog, when suddenly, 
I began to hear noises in the loose rock behind me. Every few steps I took, I would hear a crunch behind me, then another, as if someone was walking behind me. But they were taking very heavy steps, many times the length of my own. I continued on descending, trying to tell myself I was just imagining it. But the loud crunches behind me continued too. Becoming more and more unnerved and out in the wildness on his own, with something very big coming fast behind him. It wasn't long before he found himself seized by terror and running blindly down the mountainside amidst the fog until he reached the forest at the bottom and ran into the covering of the trees. Stopping to look behind him, he was unable to catch sight of the monster through the fog, but he knew he was being stalked by some huge, menacing creature, and he ran on, exhausted but desperate to get to safety. He told this to the climbers at the meeting, and he said that he had vowed he would never return there alone again. So convinced was he that there had been something deeply disturbing tracking him. Though unable to catch any real sight of it, he never forgot the sound of the crunching behind him as the huge creature stalked him. Well, after hearing of the professor's experience, other mountaineers at the meeting began to admit that they too had experienced some very strange things while on the mountain. They told of rapidly developing sensations of uncontrollable fear, panic and terror, yet with no logical reason causing these sensations. Some even exclaimed that they had felt irresistibly drawn toward a dangerous crevice or cliff as though in a trance and coming perilously close to going over the edge before somehow being able to snap out of it. Murmurs and rumours grew, speculating on how many climbers might have been chased to death by an entity or some malevolent force there. Well, following his telling of this story at the meeting, the doctor went on to receive a letter from a man who told of his own frightening experience on the same mountain. The doctor said that he and his brother were on the deserted mountain near the summit one day when they suddenly saw a giant figure coming toward them. Terrified, they fled that instant, never having seen anything like it before, and terribly aware of how small and alone they were on that mountain. One does have to wonder how many climbers did not see it coming and were not lucky enough to have been able to flee. Wendy Wood, a politician who was involved in the founding of the Scottish National Party and has been described as one of the most rational people anyone could meet, was also gripped by a blind panic when walking through the pass beneath the summit. She was hiking there alone when she suddenly heard a voice. Thinking it might have been a fallen climber, she went to see if she could help, but she could find no one around. Later, she described the voice as being extremely loud and very close and sounding like it was spoken in the Gaelic dialect. Looking all around her, she had tried to see who it was that had spoken to her, but no one was there. Spooked by the incident, she hurried to get away from the area. But she became overwhelmed by the feeling that she was being followed by someone or something with an enormous stride. She could hear footsteps following behind her as she went. At first she tried to reason with herself that the footsteps were just echoes of her own footsteps, thinking the mountainous setting could cause echoing to occur. But then she realised to her horror that the footsteps sounded wholly different to her own steps, and she could not stop the terror as she fled as fast as she could. Fast forward to February 2015, and climber Chris Slight, a producer of BBC's Scotland's Outdoor Show, spoke about a remarkable incident that had occurred just a few days ago when he was climbing the peak of Ben Nevis. 
the highest mountain in Scotland with a close friend. When I climb, I listen. I listen hard. There's many clues that will tell you what's going right or be going wrong. Sounds that comfort you, like the thud of a pick in good ice. The clip snapping shut, holding the rope that will hold you if you fall. There are sounds that warn, and there are sounds you never want to hear. So when I heard a blood-curdling scream, I feared the absolute worst. The screams were terrible. It started out almost indistinct, muffled, but quickly came sharp, visceral, piercing. I was hearing someone who'd just watched a loved one fall to their death. There was so much loss and pain in the sound. I wanted to be off the mountain, but I was hanging vertically off a wall. I froze. The scream had sent my blood running cold and brought home to me the consequences, but there was nowhere for me to retreat. Well, he and his friend had no choice but to continue upward, the safest route. As they continued their climb and finally managed their safe descent, they both wondered why there was not more noise and more activity going on. They expected to see a rescue party, voices searching for the body and the screaming friend or partner. They knew something terrible had happened. They knew there had been a fatality, that a climber had fallen to their death. But there was no noise and no activity. As they emerged from the misted mountaintop, they did their own search of the area, but they found no people. At the base of the mountain, they talked with other climbers. They'd all heard the piercing wailing too. One had even abseiled to investigate where he thought it was coming from, but he'd found no one there. Even more strangely, none of the climbers there could find any evidence of an accident having taken place, and when they contacted the police, no accident reports had been made in the last few hours, and no one had been reported missing. He and his friend carried on trying to investigate over the remaining hours, and yet no news came and no evidence showed up. The mountain rescue team came, and they searched, and yet they yielded no sign of anyone either, and eventually they stopped looking. We don't know who it was screaming, and we don't know what happened that day. We probably never will, said Chris. It was the only conclusion he could make. A very human-sounding scream, but wholly unearthly, could send the most prepared but unsuspecting climber falling, losing their grip or making a terrible fatal mistake from the sudden shock of it, causing them to flounder and fall, or unnerve someone so badly that they stumble, get disoriented and lose their bearings, and wander into treacherous, unforgiving territory. How many times could this have happened, out alone in the wilderness? Russ Chastain, a hunting aficionado, describes the time he had a most unnerving experience while on one of his first hunts with his father, a quarter of a century ago now. They'd set up in separate trees, and the afternoon was turning to dusk. All was quiet, and they heard noises of something moving nearby. It looked to him very much like a tree was moving, but he couldn't see any animal causing it to move. It was still light enough to have seen if an animal was there. Then he noticed that behind him he could hear rustling and movement again, and it appeared that the bushes behind him were moving this time. Something had got past him without being seen, and then suddenly the quiet is shattered with the most blood-curdling scream. He described it as the most primal cries he'd ever heard. It seemed part human, part animal, and part spirit. It was ethereal and completely evil. He couldn't pin it down, what it was. Then it came again. He said, my heart froze, but it was hard to pin down the source of the noise. 
It was everywhere. I tried to shrink to invisibility. I'm alone. My father is quite a distance away in his tree. It's getting dark now, and something has got between me and the truck and my safety. He couldn't run to the truck. He sat there, clutching his gun tight. But he thought, how effective is my gun going to be against something that I can't even see? Guns don't kill demons, he thought to himself. Eventually, under the cover of darkness, his adrenaline must have kicked in, and he found himself leaving the tree and running for his life back to the truck. He sat there all night until his father returned. When his father got in the truck, Russ said to him, Did you hear that scream? His father had no idea what he was talking about. His father hadn't heard it. Do they gain their sustenance from us? Are we their food?